When you're working through recovery from something like porn or sex addiction, depending on how deeply rooted that addiction is, it forces you to confront a number of different parts of yourself. And this is good work to do. Many people who engage this difficult healing work become a blessing to others later on because they're forced to face down so many issues. And often that results in a great deal of transformation. One of the important areas that we look at in our therapy with those struggling with these addictions is attachment, something that we went into in detail back in episodes 251 to 254. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. We have a little more technical episode, or as my wife would say, nerdy, mm-hmm. but uh, one that helps us understand the nuances of recovering from addiction, especially as it relates to attachment. So this is episode number 256, and today we're going to be talking about the links between attachment style and porn or sex addiction. Hey there, before we get started, if you missed our last episode, we discussed emotional labor, which I thought was fascinating and we've actually talked about since we recorded it quite a bit. Anyways, that's the unseen workload of marriage. Definitely worth going back and checking out. Also make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. And unfortunately, we've canceled our marriage cruise for February 2020. But if you'd like to be part of one the following year, definitely reach out to us as soon as possible mm-hmm. through our christianmarriagecruise.com website so we can get you on the interested list for 2021. Mm-hmm. Kind of sounds like, you know, the nice list for Christmas. Yes. The interested list for 2021. Well, you'll definitely get on your spouse's nice list if you sign up for a cruise. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And as always, if you're struggling with your marriage, we offer sound research-based advice. And most of all, we offer hope. Okay. Okay. Let's get into the topic of attachment and porn or sex addiction. So mm-hmm. you can just bring me down to earth when you need to, darling. Okay. But first of all, Caleb, mm-hmm. if you've just started listening to our show today, you may need to hit pause here and go back to episodes yep. 251 through 254, where we talk about the four main styles of attachment. If you already know about attachment, what your style is, feel free to continue listening. But if you do not, you'll definitely get more out of this episode by going back and learning about attachment through those episodes first. True dat. True dat. Okay. Attachment and porn or sex addiction. Okay. So I want to start with what I thought was something useful. And that is that attachment kind of calls out the blame game that can happen uh, when a person should be in recovery for addiction and maybe they're not, or maybe they're starting, but there's still a lot of denial going on. So one of the unfortunate impacts of porn and sex addiction in marriage is that the addict often resorts to blaming tactics to defend or to minimize the addiction. And often they'll come into therapy blaming their spouse for not providing what they need or want in the marriage, uh, typically around sexuality. But the actual reality is that they're usually not able to connect to what they need or want. Hmm. And of course, this kind of blaming is very hard on the spouse of the addict, as you might imagine. What attachment brings to the table is it points to the parts inside the attic which need healing so that the true, authentic, whole person intimacy can be embraced. And that's how it calls out the blame game, if I can say it right. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a question on that? Yeah. Like we talked about attachment and how that's formed by your primary 
caregivers. Mm-hmm. So how does this not just switch the blame game to the like, well, okay, so it's not my spouse's fault. It's my parents' fault. Yeah. Well, we have to recognize the roots of those kinds of things yeah. uh, to understand where they come from and, and why it's inside us. But but, you know, because we may enter into or we all enter into marriage with certain limitations, deficiencies, mm-hmm. challenges, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't give us excuse as to how we act out with those things. We need to own them and take responsibility okay. for seeing those parts healed. Okay. Yeah. So, but if you don't have any explanation for why you're doing what you're doing, your only conclusion can be that you're so fundamentally flawed that... Mm you're unworthy or worthless. You might as, and that's where people can get very suicidal in an addiction. Okay. Or even not have the motivation to get out of it. Cause yep. why bother? Because this is who you are, right? Okay. Whereas if you understand, okay, no, I have this attachment issue and this is part of the reason why I go towards this. Then I need to work on the attachment issue. That's something I can take responsibility for. Mm-hmm. I can find hope in knowing that other people have healed from okay. these attachment deficiencies and so on. Okay. But the blame game is just like, it's my spouse's fault. Yeah. She, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And typically it's blaming for not being sexy enough or providing enough sex or whatever, that kind of thing, which is... Wrong. Yeah. So for example, uh, one researcher thought that an addict's attachment style lived in tension between fantasy on one hand and genuine interpersonal relationships on the other. So this is how this attachment thing begins to play out. So the more that a person was comfortable with interpersonal relationships, like being comfortable in their marriage, for example, to having Mm -hmm. genuine engagement, connection, intimacy, so on, then the draw of the fantasies wouldn't diminish because the real thing is better than the fake thing. So how is that not blaming the spouse? No, 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 no. But again, it's about their own attachment issues. So can they connect to the real thing? versus connect to the fake thing. Okay. And so when you see someone who's being drawn towards fantasy, it really tells you that, okay, if they have, they can connect easier to that than to what's real, then there's something about how their connection system works. That's, that's, that's the issue here. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. And the father of attachment who, who didn't talk about, as far as I know, didn't talk about sex addiction uh, because he was back in the forties. He, he did point out that our individual assumptions about how we view others and ourselves impacts us the greatest in our closest relationships. So that includes like how comfortable we are with being close to another person. And like so much of attachment is about the effort to create closeness between two people. My effort to get close to you, right? Mm-hmm. But when you have an addiction like this occurring in a marriage, the addicted spouse is attempting to experience that closeness in some fantasy-based way, rather than in the context of a very tangible, real marriage bond. Okay. And so you see that the attachment needs are there, but they're pointed in the wrong direction. Yep. So you really do get to see in this that you do have roots down in attachment when it comes to, especially to sex addiction and to many people experiencing porn addiction. Okay. One, again, a 2008 study, a different one now, showed that over 80% of the sex-addicted participants were characterized by attachment styles other than secure attachment. And nearly half Mm. were of the fearful avoidant or disorganized attachment style where there's this real longing for connection, but there's a great fear of it as well, uh, compounded by the shame-based concern of being really seen. Like Mm. if you really saw me, you would see how awful I am, you'd reject me. And you can see how pornography or sex addiction is an attempt to fit in the missing piece of that attachment puzzle. Okay, help me understand this. If you have a fear of like being seen, if you really saw me, you wouldn't want me, then why wouldn't you want to change so that... The part you're showing people, like, you think they'd actually like. 
Um, like, why would you turn to something in, they're not going to like more? Because when you're in an addiction, part of like the characteristic of addiction is you don't feel that you can change it. You feel powerless. Oh, okay. Like, you would like to be that likable person um, who could be seen. Okay. But you're not, and your attempts to change have failed. So, therefore, you don't want them to so see the So, therefore, you. you are actually rotten, right? And so... No, you, you just think you are. Yeah, you believe you're rotten, and, and you can get this kind of intimacy fix that's fake and doesn't last and actually leaves you feeling worse, but it runs down some of the same neural pathways. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? That's how it works. Okay. Now, so you, you kind of have all this going on uh, with the attachment thing, and then... But it actually deteriorates your attachment. Well, this like is the thing. Make is, it better. Is while... While there's these dysfunctional attempts to meet these deeper needs or longings that's through these other other ways, the behavior itself takes away from the attachment that you might have with your spouse. Right. Or, or would that like you to want have, to have. Want yeah. to have. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the grandfather of the whole sex addiction recovery movement, Patrick Carnes, he conceptualized it as primarily a relationally oriented problem. That this issue is really because people aren't able to connect. And indeed, on another but related note, there's a guy on a TED talk from a couple of years ago where the guy was basically reporting for like substance abuse addictions, how like the biggest change that people experience comes when you put them into community and you give them connection Hmm. as a core issue, which is a fascinating, very popular TED talk. Kind of underlining the same thing. Uh, Another uh, person that we looked at, Leeds, wrote that although the inability to form close attachments may not be sufficient to explain the source of sexual addiction, it is a necessary component. And so that's just saying what we're talking about today is a part of it. It's not all of it, but it's a necessary. You have to consider this when you're doing this kind of work. So yes, you have to consider it, but you can't just use it as an as a excuse. No, no, again, it's, it's it's something to understand so that you know where your healing work mm-hmm. needs to That's be good. happening. Yes. yes. And so, and if you think about it, the, the acting out behaviors of sex addiction and compulsive pornography use is characterized by sexual activity minus emotional connection. That's what's happening. Okay. Yes. And that's why you see these maladaptive attachment styles at play whenever you witness sexual compulsivity. Okay. Because the, emo- the activity is there that's yeah. normally associated or should be associated with a deep emotional connection, but there is no deep emotional connection. Okay. It's anonymous, typically. Okay. And we should we should also mention at this point that just because you're not securely attached, it absolutely does not mean that you are necessarily sex or porn addicted. No. And I yeah. just kind of thought of that as I was going through here. Like, what if somebody's listening and they know their spouse is anxiously attached? They're going to be like, oh my goodness, they have a sex addiction they haven't told me about. Well, no, uh. not, not at all. Like, there are lots of other ways for those other styles to play out in the context of faithful, committed marriage partners, mm-hmm. right? But the opposite is usually true. If there is a porn addiction or a sex addiction at play in a person's life, as a therapist, I'd be very surprised to see a secure attachment style. Hmm. Very rare. Uh, okay. And and when we do, we kind of, even when it's self-identified through an assessment, we still put a big question mark over it because it's hard to imagine that that would really be possible. There might be a, a person knows what's right or what a healthy connection should look like, and they're kind of projecting how they would like to believe they're, they relate to others oh, okay. on those okay. assessments, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I would doubt it. Okay. So because of the inability to form close, secure attachment to another person, sex addicts will compensate by fantasizing about unattainable and unrealistic surrogates, like other things that try to fit the mold. It's the same for pornography use. In that case, a person seeking to meet their emotional and intimacy needs outside of the marriage. And that, of course, impacts closeness. This is where we're going. And intimacy inside the marriage, whether the porn use is known or whether it's still hidden. Hmm. It still impacts that closeness. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
And it, it also has the effect of decreasing something called partner significance in the mind of the porn user. And partner significance is like, how big is this person in my life? So that gets diminished. That's, really? that's how a person in the addiction will underestimate the impact of the discovery on the spouse. Because the spouse isn't very significant anyways. Yep. Wow. And of course, those issues threaten the stability and satisfaction of the marriage relationship, right? Yeah, yeah. So so that's how the even pornography use will deteriorate attachment. So it's not just that attachment leads to pornography use, but actually the pornography use affects the attachment as well, hmm. I guess is what we're saying. It goes yeah. both directions. Yeah. Now, for this show, we don't have any additional bonus content, but as a regular part of our programming over the past couple of years, we have provided additional worksheets and resources to help couples take our material, our content, and really apply it to their marriages. And if you'd like access to this additional content, it's all available on our Patreon page, and you can get it by becoming a patron of the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. We'll take a short 60-second break here to tell you more about that. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day-to-day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible, and to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at OYF.support. That's OYF.support. You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we were talking about how these addictions deteriorate attachment inside of a marriage. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to go more around the relationship between porn and sex addiction and the different attachment styles. Uh, this can be useful to understand when your spouse is in recovery, also for the person who's doing the work as well. Uh, again, coming back to Carnes, he was one of the first to document the fact that over 70% of the individuals with sexual addiction came from rigid authoritarian disengaged households. Hmm. And that's a pretty stark description of kind of a stunning revelation because it really points to the roots of an addiction like this, not in the sense of blaming others, but acknowledging that a home where there was little warmth or connection or flexibility is most definitely going to have an impact on how you pursue closeness or connection or sex as an adult. Mm -hmm. Okay. Speaking here as a parent, like that's kind of scary to hear. Like we all go through times when, you know, there's less warmth or connection in our home because of whatever's going on. Yeah. Well, when I, so so when I talk to people that are recovering from sex addiction, mm -hmm. their homes were consistently rigid, authoritarian and disengaged. Like that was... The default normal 99% of the time, you'll have the odd blips. Like, can you remember a time when your dad held you or you felt really comforted by him? And they'll have one memory or two memories Okay. over like 18 years in the home. Okay. Right? So So this this doesn't mean we have to have perfect parenting. Yeah. That's what I was saying or thinking. No. Okay. Good enough parenting is good enough. Now- Which is good because there's no such thing as perfect parenting. No, it's not going to happen. None (laughs) of us have accomplished that. No. Uh, Even therapists don't parent perfectly. But if growing up required a person to develop 
detachment as a survival skill. So that's checking out mentally or physically, hiding Mm -hmm. their actual feelings, avoiding closeness because there is risk associated with that, either through like, if you see me, you'll make fun of me or you'll reject me or whatever. Then that pattern is formational for avoidant attachment, developing Hmm. that kind of attachment style. In that way, that one approach or one attachment style or one experience, set of experiences, I guess I will say, can set the stage for sex addiction because those acting out behaviors provide a cheap imitation of intimacy without actually needing to be close to another person. So you can have your detachment and you think your experience of intimacy together. You can have them both. Okay. Of course, it's not really intimacy. It's just an act of sex. Okay. Am I so this sex? is the avoidant attachment. This when is the you avoidant... say you can have your attachment, I thought you meant like good attachment. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. And... But that's why why it can try to, you know, it's like trying to fit a puzzle piece and it almost fits, but it's the other half of the piece is missing, but it plugs into these two parts over here. Mm. That's why it's kind of working as an addiction, if I can mm-hmm. put it that way. Now, on the other hand, like coming with an, another attachment style, which is the, the anxious attachment style, if you were never certain of your parents' availability. So that's a different experience, right? Yeah. And because of that, you developed an anxious attachment style where you're always kind of checking in. You needed to know, always going back for reassurance, right? Mm -hmm. Then in another way, sex may become a means of feeling closeness and reassurance because all of a sudden you you have all of this person, right? Mm -hmm. If there's no relational commitment required to obtain that sex, then you can also have an experience similar to intimacy, but not have the concern of separation or abandonment. That's how it fits with the anxious style. Okay. And of course, that's only an imitation of the true intimacy that we are actually wired for. So it never satisfies, though it will stimulate some of the same brain circuitry. And that's how it becomes addictive because it kind of fakes it for you without the risk. Yeah, yeah. And but this is how sexual relationship without emotional commitment may also be easier to engage in despite mm. the other risks and personal and relational costs associated with it, like i.e. how it's going to wound your spouse. Mm-hmm. Put yourself at risk health-wise. Right. Whatever, right? Yeah. This is possible both for anxiously attached in individuals as well as avoidantly attached. And again, it doesn't mean that all people with these attachment styles resort to these behaviors. We're just describing a framework of possibilities for understanding people that are in sex addiction recovery work. Okay. Or, or should be. The, yeah, or should be. And so what does this mean for recovery? So of course, it's great to understand all mm-hmm. this, to be able to connect some of these dots, to get this theoretical kind of background to know what's happening. But what about recovery? How can our understanding of the connections... Between attachment styles and porn or sex addiction, how can that assist with recovery? So first, treatment for sex addicts and many porn addicts should include addressing attachment and not just the sexual Mm. aspects of the marriage. Yeah, because it's not a marriage problem so much as the addict's problem, which is affecting marriage. It's a problem, becomes a problem in the marriage. Yeah. But the attachment style, and this is the thing, is if if the attachment style can be shifted and healed so that you get true, genuine intimacy Mm -hmm. and know how to establish real connection and maintain and enjoy that, Mm -hmm. that will feel far better than the the fake imitation of the pseudo-intimacy provided by the porn sex addiction. Okay. Right? And this enables you to have some reassurance, even as the betrayed spouse, that this may be sustainable because you see your partner in recovery experiencing something that is far more deeply satisfying now. And it's kind of like, why would you want the junk food if you could have the real food? So this is the spouse looking at the The spouse looking at it. Yeah. So what I'm saying here is this is, because one of the things is, how will I ever know if my spouse will be safe again? I got on a little bit of a rabbit trail here. Okay. Yeah. So while I'm on the rabbit trail, I'll just finish it off. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
there, this is the question, right? But if you see the attachment style shifting and this okay. much deeper okay. set of brain circuits being rewarded, yes, that gives you some assurance of the stability of the recovery. Okay. I mean, you still, you can't assume you still have to do your work. You're always in recovery. Yep. That's back on the attic side. But yeah, okay. this is how you can have some hope that it's not always going to be this way to or that it's not just going to be temporary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, so kind of coming back off rabbit trail, mm-hmm. uh, the need to deal with the attachment style as part of the treatment. Right. If you're avoidantly attached and in recovery, you have likely noticed that you have difficulty expressing your feelings, just as one example. Okay. So some of the characteristics in this category of attachment include being introverted, a lack of assertiveness, unexpressive of emotions, a belief that you're undeserving of love and support, an interest in emotionless sex. Hmm. And your therapist should be helping you to adjust those beliefs and behaviors so you can learn to be relationally warm and expressive, trust in the reliability of the connection that your spouse is extending towards you, and build the skills of emotional connection and thereby create healthy, genuine intimacy, right? So this is how we're, we're doing secure attachment behaviors out of a healthy place instead of continuing to reinforce the insecure attachment okay. and its behaviors. Okay. Yeah. So that's encouraging then, like you yeah, can for get sure. here. Yeah. And part of this is recognizing the ways that your former attachment style has created barriers to intimacy. And that's something I should have mentioned maybe at the start is that an attachment style in an adult can be changed. Mm-hmm. It can shift. Right. So although it's very much set at youth, it, it's not necessarily permanent. Okay. Yeah. So what are, what are these ways that you can change? Well, there's certain things that you can practice. And this, these are, so here's a few more examples of different things. Like one is sitting with discomfort. Because who likes to do that? Right. But if, if I know that you're there for me and you accept me mm-hmm. and I've allowed myself to be to believe and be convinced of these things, then I don't need to go cope with my discomfort. I can stay with my discomfort. Oh, I see. Okay. Yes. 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 Mutual support. So that's giving and receiving support. Again, instead of, say, the avoidance style, just with, withdrawing and taking care of himself, he is going mm-hmm. to go for support and receive support as well okay. as learning to provide support to... Oh. Okay. Yep. Uh, Focusing on the positives in your marriage. So that's kind of stepping away from the blame game. Oh, okay. That's good for anybody's marriage here. (laughs) And then self-soothing in healthy ways. So when you do hit distress and it is uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. what are the healthy ways inside the context of your supportive marriage that you're creating Mm -hmm. and even within yourself that you can self-soothe? You can take care of what you need. Okay. In a way that's not destructive, that doesn't go against your values. Right. Because just because you do the work and you shift your attachment style doesn't mean you're not going to hit hard times no. again yes. or right. anything. So we want to really want to be working to understand how you can work this out in real life, day to day times too, right? Okay. And as you can imagine, then like these kinds of shifts can produce very positive results for couples, even yeah. couples that have come through very disastrous experiences and discoveries, right? Mm-hmm. It takes work, it takes patience and practice. But when you start to discover the joy of true intimacy and connection, even the the beauty of connected soul-to-soul sex, then that creates a huge amount of resiliency against going back to the shallow temporary satisfactions of addictive behaviors. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Any last thoughts or comments, baby? No, I think I, yeah. Was that as nerdy as you thought it was going to be? You can say yes. (laughs) It wasn't that bad. (laughs) (laughs) No, it wasn't that bad. But we'd like to thank those of you who became patrons between this recording and our previous one. Oh my goodness. We have Aaron and James and Brandon and April and Leonard and Brandon and Jason and Greg and Joe and Terry. Hey, we're still catching up from our big trip. Oh, I was thinking, wow, we had a good week. No, 
It's just all people I mean, come along to support us. So thank you all so much. That's very nice. Yeah. For your help. It helps us and encourages us to keep going with the podcast here. We're over 1.6 million downloads now. Huh. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. So we want to shout out a huge thank you to Faith J. Jordan, who left a review on iTunes. Yes. Five stars. Great podcast for married couples. Best podcast for married couples trying to improve their marriage. I found episodes that address a wide variety of issues. This is my favorite podcast on marriage I found. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Because cool. there's Thanks. a lot of good marriage podcasts out there. Yeah, there are. But next episode. Next episode, we're going to talk about how retirement impacts marriage. Hmm. Even if you're not retired yet, you should be thinking about it. Thinking about retiring? Yeah, for sure. No, you <laughs> should be thinking about forming your, vi- as your vision of retirement forms. Oh. Considering your marriage. As part of that. Every, yep. When you think of planning for retirement, all you think about is money. Yeah. Or even understanding like what your parents are going through when they're retiring. Mm. It can be helpful for that too. Yeah. Yep. That is all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oif.link slash 256. Find out how you can help. Go to oif.support. Thanks. And we'll see you next week. Or in two weeks. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People from Only You Forever.